1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends. I just want to try to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We're not winning the war against the pandemic. And when we're losing, we buy the Cramer COVID-19 Index. Oh, I wish there were more to it than that. But when the virus seems unstoppable, you go back to the well and buy the stocks of the companies that do well when the illness rages, regardless of valuation. That's how the Dow gained 236 points today, s and P Advanced. 0.72% and the NASDAQ filled with pandemic winners surged 1.47%. This rally was extra infuriating to anyone who thinks the market should reflect or be linked to Washington's inability to pass another stimulus bill now that the extra unemployment benefits, 600 bucks per week, have expired. They're baffled that stocks seem to celebrate the new hotspots, the rising case counts in so many states, oh, California over 500,000, the forced closures of flagging businesses. So let me give you Kramer's guide to the perplexed, because when you go to the tape and look at what's winning, it's actually very straightforward. There's nothing counterintuitive about this move. It's not crazy. It's not illogical. In fact, it makes perfect sense. Let's do this. Let's consider the 15 best performers of the Kramer COVID-19 index as of midday today. First, there's Fastly. Oh, that's a big day trader favorite. This is a platform that provides stability and support to tens of thousands of websites that handle everything from news to e-commerce. These guys work with Shopify, New York Times, Slack, Microsoft's GitHub, competitor of Atlassian that we'll hear from later in the show, as well as Pinterest, which is also on tonight's show. Fastly thrives when everyone's stuck at home. Well, guess what? We're totally stuck at home. We're totally relying on the Internet. Second, Chegg the on-demand interconnected learning platform that reported spectacular numbers tonight and raised guidance through the roof, plus 45% for this year. 45! With so many colleges moving courses online, of course, Chegg's stock is soaring. This company, it's a dream come true for stay-at-home students and for stock market junkies. Third is Chewy, the online pet food store. If you have pets and you're trying to quarantine, you use Chewy. Again, this is another company that would have been doing fine, but is now on fire thanks to COVID. It's a pandemic playground. Fourth is Peloton. Oh, there's nothing like a pandemic to turn an extra cycle into an ecosystem. When the gym is closed, you stop using your Peloton bike as a clothes rack and prepare to sweat it off. Sweat off all that truly or white claw with Allie Love, who will crush you. Her digital coaching is integral to the flywheel that is Peloton. Apologies to flywheel the spinning brick and more competitor. Fifth, regardless of who comes up with a vaccine, we're going to need billions of vials, and that means we need Emergent BioSolutions. They're the contract manufacturer for a number of drug companies working on vaccines, including J&J. They have the cap- capacity, the capability, and the skill set to help. The worse the outbreak gets, well, the higher the stock goes. Is there really any mystery to that? Six, diabetes is a huge risk factor for COVID. It's much more lethal for, di- for diabetics. So no wonder Livongo Health, that's a digital life coach that specializes in helping diabetics manage their condition, has become a total juggernaut. It doesn't get more pertinent than that. Seventh, when you hear the disease is raging, you know everything tied up in the work from home complex is headed higher. How do you stay in touch when you can't go to the office? Zoom video. Again, this one's so obvious that it's already become a verb. I mean, believe me, Zoom doesn't run like this when people are confident about the future. Number eight, Etsy, the online marketplace Brooklyn's own for all sorts of handcrafted stuff, including masks. More importantly, Etsy lets you build a whole business from your kitchen table or your garage. We love it at our restaurants. We bought beautiful aprons for our waiters and waitresses and beer spouts for our bar. Imagine how well we'll do when we're actually able to serve customers in the restaurants. Ninth, what's a hot 100 list without Shopify? Yeah, Shopify, which helps hundreds of thousands of small businesses go digital. It's also become a growth engine for large consumer product companies. People don't realize that. Now at $123 billion, it's the largest business in Canada. It used to be a fraction of that. Okay, 10th uh, is the Trade Desk, which helps companies manage data-driven digital advertising campaigns, especially against streaming content. I think this may be a play on the possibility that Microsoft gets TikTok. It makes it much more advertiser-friendly. The Trade Desk is a competitor to Google, so it's a natural fit for anyone who competes with Google. 11th, you need a web presence, right? I mean, come on, this year of the Internet, you need one, probably don't have one. Well, if you do, you need to go to Wix.com like we did when we started a restaurant. It wasn't hard, but my wife helped design the Longshoreman's presence with Wix assistance, of course, like everybody else. Again, this is another company that's essentially for small businesses that are trying to survive the stay-at-home economy. Notice I didn't say pathetic small businesses. Small businesses. Number 12. Microsoft, which is all about the TikTok fire sale. Yep, President Trump's threat to shut down the Chinese-owned TikTok in America if they don't find a U.S. buyer means that Microsoft could get it for a fraction of what it's worth. That would be a huge coup for a company that doesn't have much of a social media presence other than LinkedIn, which really doesn't count. Microsoft's in a fabulous position here. No other company can compete with them, save maybe Verizon. And I doubt Verizon wants to double down on its ailing media platform. Think Yahoo and AOL, even though they should. Honestly, anyone who could afford, can afford it should be going after TikTok. Believe me, I would if I could put together a consortium. But I bet it goes to Microsoft because it isn't under federal scrutiny like Alphabet, Apple, Amazon, or Facebook. Now, I think there are real securities issues here with, uh, the, with the PRC. I really do. Right now, the White House seems to, to favor Microsoft's low-ball bid. I don't know. 13, NVIDIA. It's more of a rebound play. On Friday, we heard rumors that they might pay billions of dollars for ARM Holdings, a semiconductor design company with a ton of Apple exposure. Here's what I'll say about this deal. I have so much confidence in NVIDIA's visionary CEO, Jensen Wong, you know I call him Leonardo da Vinci, that I'm good either way. If he buys ARM, it's clearly the right move. If he decides not to buy ARM, same thing. He's more than earned the benefit of our doubt. Plus, NVIDIA is a huge beneficiary of the stay-at-home economy thanks to their data center and gaming exposure. They are in the sweet spot, which is why that stock's been so hot. How about the 14th, Beyond Meat? You know, this was already in Costco, which reports monthly numbers on Wednesday. But their plant-based burgers were just picked up by BJ's and Sam's Club, which is owned by Walmart. These are huge outlets. Beyond Meat's keeping prices low because CEO Ethan Brown recognizes this at the moment to take market share from beef. And he thinks it will get, that will happen if you get more people to buy the product. If you can make it cheaper than real meat, that's a gigantic win. Hey, by the way, there's also a pandemic connection here. As meatpacking plants keep turning into COVID hotspots, making Beyond Meat more attractive. It's from plants. Uh, I mean, he plants. It doesn't have that. Plants it slaughtered plants. It doesn't have that same kind of, you know, the cows thing. Uh, it, 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 this is all about a major increase in distribution. Finally, 15. How can you have a list about COVID-19 top performers without Salesforce? What can I say? The cloud's on fire. Companies are digitizing all over the place because they have no choice, which means more work for Salesforce. Plus, their Work.com platform is the single best way to figure out how to reopen your business safely, not stupidly like so many do. I wish more people would use it. Put it all together, and all the stocks that work today do better with the pandemic than without it. They aren't mall based retailers. They aren't automakers. They aren't banks. They aren't smokestack industrials or even drug companies. They're enterprises that have huge demand, because the virus has fundamentally changed the way we do business in this country. The bottom line, stop saying the market makes no sense. I mean, it's trillions of dollars worth of worth here. When the pandemic's out of control, you better believe the Kramer COVID-19 index will lead us higher. And yes, these companies are absolutely big enough to drag the averages with them, and amazingly, go much higher still. Let's go to Jeff in Georgia. Jeff.
2: Hey, Jim. Booyah from Georgia. How you doing? All
1: right. I hope you're safe down there, man. You as well, sir. You as well. Thank you. Hey, uh, you've mentioned uh, several times in the recent past that you like Proofpoint.
3: I own it at 113, and uh, do you see any idea why they dropped uh, 12% on Friday after the reported beaded
2: earnings on Thursday?
1: A bunch of us were trying to figure that out, and we all concluded when we were completely uh, dumbfounded that the stock was wrong, not us. I think Proofpoint is a buy. I want to go to Al in South Carolina. Al. Hi, Jim. Al, what's going on? No, I,
2: bought, I bought Zillow about a year ago. Okay. And uh, you know, it's doing pretty good. So I just wondered if I should uh, take them off the table or buy or...
1: No, I think just you're just down. fine. Hold on to Zillow. It's got that great new management team, and they're doing so many things right. And the, uh, the housing initiative, which I was at first skeptical about, is working. So I think that you are in very good shape with Zillow. Never thought I'd say that, but holy cow. You change your model, and it works. There you go. All right, look, we're not winning, right now, we're not winning the war against the pandemic. So what do you do? Well, you buy the Kramer COVID-19 Index. And These are the top ones today. Pretty easy to figure out. Well, man, buddy, tonight, how is the COVID-19 pandemic impacting Pinterest? I'm scrolling the company's most recent quarter with its CEO, who is so terrific. See if you could. Pin it to win it. And Clorox's bankable CEO Ben Odor is making a clean break and stepping down as CEO. I'm talking with him about the move in the company's quarter. And while some of the world's largest tech companies met heightened earnings expectations with ease last week, pair Atlassian, simple T-E-A-M, one of my faves, wasn't so lucky. Stock took a tumble after report. But could it be a buying opportunity? I've got the exclusive. So stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps.
1: All those big tech companies reporting last Thursday night, you might have missed a company that reported blowout numbers on Friday morning. That's Pinterest. And when I say blowout, I'm in one of the best quarters we've seen this earnings season, maybe this year. Results so incredible, the stock surge on these numbers. 36% on Friday. We're tackling another 5% today. That's like a takeover. When the pandemic hit, there was a lot of confusion surrounding Pinterest's virtual pinboard platform slash social network. Stock plunged from 25 at its February highs to $10 at its March lows as investors freaked out about a weak advertising market. Turns out those sellers made a huge mistake. Pinterest had regained all that lost ground going into last week. And thanks to its awesome results, it's now at 36. That's a new high. While the company posted a substantial top and bottom line beat, the headline numbers were just the tip of the iceberg. See, Pictures had 416 m- a million monthly average users when Wall Street was only looking for 380 million. That's monumental. And while management declined to give a formal forecast, they did tell us that revenue was up 50% year over year in July and gave us their best estimate for the current quarter, 30%, 30% revenue growth. That's astonishing. So how did they make that happen? Well, today I got a chance to check in with Ben Silberman. We haven't seen him in a while. He's the co-founder and CEO of Pinterest. Take a look. Ben, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Thanks for having me, Jim. How are you doing today?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I- I'm terrific because it looks like the good guys are winning. You have the cleanest, most fun and inspirational site. And it looks like the advertisers have figured out that this is the brand safe place to be.
3: Well, we've been really happy that so many businesses have been able to find success on Pinterest over the last few months.
1: It has been a fabulous thing for small business because they've been able to be found. I've One of the things I really loved in your conference call was you said, e-commerce is great when you know what you want to buy, but if you want to browse and discover what is inspiring, Pinterest is the best place to go.
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, People have always come to Pinterest first to get inspiration, so to get an idea for, you know, anything. It could be uh, redecorating their home or finding a home workout, uh, and then they think about what they need to do to make that inspiration into reality. So that just presents a great opportunity for businesses uh, who know there are customers out there that are looking for their products, but those customers might not have heard of their specific product name or their specific brand just yet.
1: It does seem that the advertisers also like the tabs. I mean, for instance, you have one that my daughter looked at for glamping. She likes to glamp. Well, what a great place to reach the people because otherwise it's too diffuse. You don't know where to go.
3: Yeah, I think that if you can reach people who are there actually looking for inspiration, so they haven't decided what they want, but they know that they want to do something new in their life, that's a golden opportunity for any business.
1: Todd Morganfeld had a great point on the conference call talking about how the boycott of others that are controversial did help you. And I know that the big spurt in July traffic, uh, 50 percent, is going to help, too. These are huge tailwinds that uh, do you think that they have any sustainability?
3: Well, I think that we've seen great growth uh, amongst our user base all over the world. And we've seen that now uh, for several quarters in a row. So to me, what that says is that that need to get inspiration uh, and to plan what you might wanna do in your future, that's something that's pretty global. Um, and that sits alongside other needs people have to connect with their friends or to read their news, but Pinterest can really serve that first one. So I think that tailwind will continue. Um, as for uh, advertisers wanting a place that um, they can inspire people and that feels brand safe, um, it's hard to say how long that the current, the current movement will last, but we think over the long term, Advertisers will always want a place where they can inspire their customers. And so we're laser focused on uh, providing just that.
1: Now, the international growth is really extraordinary. You made the points, uh, made it several times on the conference call that it's English speaking. And yet it, it seems like it's got to be more than that. I mean, what countries are obviously the UK very important, but the growth is so stunning internationally that I'm trying to figure out what which countries have been so important.
3: You know, the great thing, Jim, is we're seeing growth all over the world. Um, and so uh, we've seen great growth in Western Europe, but also Latin America, uh, Brazil, and parts of Asia. Um, and then over time, what's wonderful is we're starting to see business results follow. So uh, international revenue only comprised about 9% of overall revenue. Last year at this time, now it's up to 15%. Uh, and so we're starting to see the same formula that's working really well for businesses here in the United States um, also work well for advertisers around the world.
1: You have said over and over again that when you do these great technology leaps, it's going to pay off. You did them, and yet Wall Street seemed to be completely unaware that they had kicked in. What do you think was the disconnect? Because you've been very open that when you finish this great R&D effort, it's going to be, lead to extraordinary uh, readership.
3: Well, you know, Jim, I think that we're at the company just very focused on what we think will, in the long term, best serve uh, our customers and best serve advertisers. And sometimes there's time for those results to actually show up in financial results. Um, But we try to look out um, 12, 18, 24 months and think, uh, what are the big technology investments that we need to make to help delivering inspiration to people all over the world? And that's the approach that we're continuing to take. So um, while we've um, turned down spending a little bit, um, as every business has kind of going into the pandemic, we still are investing heavily into the long-term machine learning, uh, computer vision, Um, and other technology elements that we think will fuel growth over the long term.
1: Now, Ben, a lot of companies at the end of their conference call mentioned, you know what, and we're also, we believe in racial justice, and we're giving X, and that's it. Clearly, you put it at the top of your conference call and your letter, which is excellent. Um, How do you avoid being so-called controversial, and yet doing the right thing? Because the site is the least toxic site in the world, but there are people who regard the uh, racial justice, believe it or not, as polarizing.
3: You know, we really believe firmly that um, our company as a culture and our product um, should be one that's inclusive for everyone. So there's been a national and an international movement for racial justice. Pinterest has uh, not been left out of that. And it's been an opportunity for us to look within and also to the investments that we're making to a product and think, how do we do better? So inside the company, um, we're renewing kind of our obligations to improve representation at senior leadership level, to build an inclusive culture. But we also want to make sure that when you use Pinterest, regardless of your background, you can see yourself in it. You can find something inspirational. And we don't think that's something that'll be controversial over the long term. We think that'll make the product better for everyone. And we do aspire to build a product that could be inspiring. No matter what your background is, no matter what country you live in, no matter what your particular interest is.
1: Anyone who's used it would uh, know how obvious that is. But I wanted to point it out for if you're just looking at it from the stock, go to the site and you'll see how inclusive I find it. One of the things I find uh, most inclusive is that you have been able to uh, span the generations. You have resurrected users. But you have young users, uh, Gen Z, as you call them, that seem to have been lost in the fray. And you're either in a TikTok, in a kind of a soporific, uh, mind numbing experience, or you're all the way in Facebook and you're ages that really much you have decided already that you're going to use Colgate and not Crest. How are you able to attract a Gen Z crowd that no one else has been able to reach?
3: Yeah, well, look, Jim, we were really proud to see that uh, the population of users under the age of 25, which we call Gen Z, it grew at twice the rate um, of other groups. And when we looked at what they were doing, um, they were looking to Pinterest to get inspiration in their everyday life. So some of those use cases are exactly the same as all age groups, Uh, people thinking about how to make their living space more livable, um, thinking about their personal appearance, their personal health and wellness habits. We also saw particular strength in creative activities. So people that wanted to try something new just for themselves. Uh, And I think what it reflects is that a lot of young people, um, they sort of have their fill when it comes to social content and news content. That's really well served by other platforms. But when they look within about what can I do that will make me feel good, um, they're looking for inspiration and Pinterest can serve to help fill that gap.
1: I think that's a perfect way to leave it because you have success. Succeeded beyond everybody's wildest dreams, except for your, your team. You all knew that you're doing the right thing, and the right team, the right thing definitely wins out in the end. Thank you to Ben Silberman, co-founder and CEO of Pinterest. Great to see you again, sir.
3: Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me, uh, and hope you're staying safe and healthy.
1: You too. Okay. Uh, I like the stock, but I want you, if you like it, to go to Pinterest. Look up your favorite category so you know what's behind this. It's not just a stock that's doing well.
0: This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter.
1: I want (laughs) to... just happened to the stock of Clorox. And after months of outperformance courtesy of the pandemic, the stock got clocked today in the wake of a seemingly strong quarter. Now, we've been recommending Clorox for ages here because it's a recession play and their cleaning products are exactly what you need to protect yourself from the virus. Sure enough, the company's doing very well. They posted a monster 42-cent earnings beat off a $1.99 basis with substantially higher-than-expected sales and truly spectacular 24% organic growth. I've never seen a number like that. For a consumer packaged goods company, it's insane. But Clorox also gave us some guidance for their next fiscal year, and the forecast was pretty conservative. Imagine predicting low single-digit sales growth with basically flat earnings, suboptimal, although I think maybe it's just underpromising, and so they can over-deliver. I don't know. We also learned that longtime chairman and CEO Ben Durer would be relinquishing the CEO role to Clorox's current president, Linda Randall, and uh, that's effective September 14. I would not be at all surprised if Dora' is giving ultra-conservative guidance, maybe to smooth the transition. Still, given how much the stock had run going into the quarter, that forecast was discouraging even if. It was conservative, and that's why the stock tumbled two percent. We need to take a closer look what, by talking to Ben O'Dour. He's the Clorox chairman and now outgoing CEO. Do you get a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed? Ben, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Well, first, uh, before we get into the formal part about Clorox, I just want to congratulate you for a great run. Uh, very few people finish on top. You have decided to do that. I know you've got great things you want to do in your life and you have a terrific successor who I had the good fortune of meeting, Linda Randall. So I think you're leaving the company in great hands.
2: I sure hope so. Uh, first of all, it's been a great honor and privilege to be the CEO of this great company. And it's a good time for a transition which was um, strategic and well-planned and long term. Uh, we have so much momentum on the business. We have a strategy that we believe in. And as you know, we have a great successor. And importantly, we want to continue to play offense and we want to take a long-term view of this pivotal opportunity that we have now. And for that, it's a really great opportunity and thing to have, to have a CEO at the helm who has a long runway ahead of her. Now, I think there was way too much
1: attention, and for people at home, there's a conference call that goes on, and most people were focused on the forecast. I'm not nearly as focused on the forecast because we are in a moment, Ben, where I have to tell you I have no idea whether it will cure this thing or not cure it. But I do want to talk about is the tremendous energy that you have brought and the new formation of the different divisions and what it means, because as far as I can see, I'd like to say the last questioner, it's everything from Kingsford to your salad dressings to your uh, litter box to the bags and of course to the to the, your uh, probiotics there really wasn't a division besides Clorox that wasn't on fire
2: now what's great uh, about this last quarter with uh, uh, 24% organic sales growth and this last fiscal year which we've just closed with 10% sales growth which by the way, is the highest organic sales growth we have had in modern history, is that all four segments grew double digits. So we're seeing broad-based strength. And it's certainly in part a function of the fact that our products and brands are serving so many more consumers today in the face of the pandemic and people staying at home. But we also are seeing much improved core health fundamentals. We're seeing growing market shares. We are seeing growing household penetration. We are seeing the percentage of our portfolio that is seen as superior in value by our consumers at an all time high. So this is a time when consumers are in need of brands that they trust. And as a Clorox company, we have so many of these brands. Well, when I I I see the different
1: surveys which talk about the trust and we had Adam Aron on from AMC. I know the Uber people very well. I know the United people very well. They chose Clorox to partner with. And I know why they did it, because with Clorox, we feel safe. And that is a
2: a great honor. How did those deals come about? Yeah, they came to us because they know that uh, we have uh, not just the most trusted brand in cleaning and disinfecting in the United States, but we also have unique technology and we have Uh, a lot of knowledge from being in this business for many years about cleaning and disinfecting protocols that are effective. So this is an emerging strategy for us to help the country reopen whenever hopefully we are ready to fully commit ourselves to doing that. We need cleaning and disinfecting protocols in public spaces that keep people safe and protected. And importantly, we need people to feel confident that they can come back out And that's where we can make a difference. And the partnership we've had with Uber, United Airlines, AMC Theatres, and recently also the Cleveland Clinic, a tribute to that.
1: Now, to me, the Cleveland Clinic was a sign that your company is now about hygiene and good health. And the high, hygiene is in secular increase, not cyclical. So I separate hygiene from a recession, and you talked about what happened in recession, although I think, as you said, trusted brands gain in a re- recession. But I think your company's repositioned on the fly. And it didn't necessarily start out as a hygiene company, but your re- reign ended with Clorox as a hygiene company.
2: Yeah, we're certainly a health and wellness uh, company at heart. It is a big part of our history, and it certainly is a big part of our future. Uh, as I think about um, the growth opportunity that we have is to help uh, uh, serve the public uh, in the face of the pandemic, but certainly also well past that. We expect that consumers and institutional customers will engage with disinfecting products in much more significant ways for a very, very long time. And that's why we're investing. Uh, one of the things that led to an outlook for this coming fiscal year that uh, some people view to be as conservative, uh, we view to be as appropriately balanced in the face of uncertainty, is our aggressive stance to investing. We are investing in advertising sales promotion to engage with consumers. We're investing in building capacity to take advantage of growth opportunities around the world, around cleaning and disinfecting. And we're investing in our people and business transformation this is a time for our business to play offense, and that's exactly what we will do. Now, I noticed
1: in uh, Linda's background, background, she has a lot of international, uh, and I know that she also worked at Procter, which is an international company like you. Uh, to me, I was thinking the Clorox brand resonates more internationally. We had, I spoke to the Lysol people the other day, and I'm thinking, Lysol's okay brand. Clorox, premier brand. It's got to be the same in Europe. They have to view it that way, but that's expensive to take over Europe, and you've got to take them on.
2: Yeah, we are known to be very disciplined when it comes to making uh, expansion decisions. And um, the way I know, Linda, uh, that's not going to change at all. So we have so much uh, growth opportunity here in the United States, and that will be our core focus uh, going forward. But it is very true that we also are looking at a lot of growth opportunities internationally, whether that's Europe or in Asia or uh, in the Middle East. We've just announced that uh, we're taking over the majority in a joint venture that we've had for the last 50 years in Saudi Arabia, giving us an opportunity to serve uh, consumers in the Gulf region with our cleaning and disinfecting products in a more aggressive fashion. Uh, so we will pursue these growth opportunities. But again, we'll pursue them with discipline. All right, Bennett, do you think
1: your legacy is the fact that you're the first CEO of a major company that I've, I've met who put more emphasis on, uh, on compensation, on doing the right thing for the planet? Uh, no one else is doing that. I think they're starting to do it. And it was your idea.
2: Uh, that's given me a lot of credits and that's very kind. I, I don't know if that's true, but, uh, if I can have contributed, then, um, I'm certainly happy. I think my legacy is hopefully the position that we're in as a company today. And that's one of opportunity. That's one of, uh, fundamentals that are healthy. And importantly, that's one of a management team. And, um, uh, a new CEO, a female CEO, uh, uh, might I say, a uh, first female CEO in 107 years uh, history. Um, you know, it's, it's her and what she'll be able to, to do going forward with hopefully a little bit that I've been able to contribute. If that's my legacy, I'll be very proud. Ah, uh, You should be. Thanks again. Uh,
1: my trust is a big shareholder. Uh, thank you for everything you've done for all your shareholders. Great to see you, Beno. Thank you. That's Beno Dore, the chair and CEO of Clorox, a fundamentally reinvented company. We didn't even get to a lot of the great divisions like Brito or the probiotics division. There's so much to talk about. What a great job Mr. Dore did. did the whole run. We have money back here for the break. Like I said at the top of the show, we're in a COVID bull market right now. The big winners here are generally the stocks that benefit from the pandemic economy. But not all of them are benefiting equally. Take Atlassian, the company that makes cloud-based collaboration software that has been so strong for so long. Last Thursday night, while the tech titans were shooting the lights out, Atlassian reportedly, uh, let's say, let's call it a mixed quarter. While the headline results were solid, a nice top and bottom line beat, they added fewer new customers than the analysts expected. Maybe more worrisome, management's guidance for the next fiscal year was complicated. And Wall Street likes simple. Everyone's used to simple greatness from Atlassian. See, they're migrating the remaining on-premise software customers to the cloud. That can be a bumpy process. In response, the stock got eviscerated on Friday. It's, me it's nearly 6%. I think that could be an overreaction. So is this a rare buying opportunity in a stock that never seems to stay down for long? Or maybe we should be more concerned. Let's take a close look with Mike Cannon-Brooks. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Atlassian. To get a better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Cannon-Brooks, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Hey, Jim, how you doing?
1: All right, well, mate, as you like to say to people at the conference call, uh, we're all so used to Atlassian shooting the lights out. Were you surprised uh, that uh, your stock dropped post-earnings given that uh, heritage?
4: Uh, look, I, th- I think we delivered a really solid quarter. We had a, a great year, um, you know, revenue up over $1.6 billion, 30% free cash flow margin. Um, and, look, we, we continue to be a long-term focused company. Uh, as you can see in our shareholder letter and our results, we're focusing on building the best business for our customers in the long term. Uh, and we believe that will have the returns to shareholders in that, uh, in that period of time.
1: But you do have a lot of supporters. I'm going to mention Opco, for instance. They say COVID-19 challenges, especially April, May, moderation of new customer additions might have been affected. Uh, I have to believe that, that COVID-19 did slow some of, the, uh, up, some of the purchasing or the integration
4: that Atlassian needed. Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Um, it's actually more on the, uh, on the churn side. So certainly in April and May, we uh, we saw more churn in the smaller customer end. Again, we have 174,000 enterprise customers. So uh, a lot of those are, are small. And small business was really, really hurt by uh, the economic churn that happened in April and May. And hence, we saw some of that in the customer number. Uh, at the same time, it was our highest ever quarter for uh, for new ads. So the number of new customers we brought in, the, the top of the line, uh, was our highest quarter ever. So uh, we continue to be bullish. Look. So June, per- June recovered really well, and we'll keep going.
1: So perhaps it is wrong to look at the aggregate numbers and better to look underneath and see the large deals that Atlassian did.
4: Uh, sure. Look, we're doing very well on that front. We, we passed 100 customers uh, that spend more than a million dollars a year, which is up 74% year on year. Um, so at the large end of town, we continue to do really well as, uh, as we get greater and greater uh, enterprise penetration in the, in the Fortune five thousand. Well,
1: when I first saw Atlassian, I thought that what you guys were was basically this kind of way to be able to communicate with people in the organization. Then I got in charge of a major software overhaul. And I realized that Atlassian is the only way to be able to control the cost of a major software overhaul, particularly one that is going to the cloud.
4: Uh, We should put you on our marketing, Jim. That's a great way of explaining what we do. Uh, For sure. Look, we're we're obviously... um, an incredibly um, powerful force in the software development, agile and DevOps movement, uh, and increasingly so in the IT market as uh, people who build software and people who run software are increasingly working together or becoming the one team. Uh, and we do think we have the only platform that spans across all of that work that is uh, incredibly complicated for teams to do inside of companies and incredibly important as, uh, as the world continues to digitize and software becomes ever more important as a, as a competitive advantage to every single business out there.
1: Now, you do make a lot of acquisitions, and I, I'm not good enough to be able to keep up with uh, with HALP and Mindville, other than to say, well, wait a second, they got Square, they got eBay, they got Spotify, they have Cisco, they have Airbnb, so they must need these, NASA, Toyota, they must need these things in order to be able to please their clients.
4: Uh, for sure. Uh, uh, Mindville you know, added a CMDB, so asset management capability. If you're running a large IT organization nowadays, you have tens of thousands of assets from laptops to services to, to different things you have to track and manage and uh, and, and support. Um, the number one request from our IT customers uh, in, that, in that market was uh, asset management capability is a native part of the platform. Uh, and we we're super thrilled to bring on board the Mindville team that have been part of our uh, ecosystem of partners for many years now uh, and are now uh, part of the Atlassian family, so I think that'll be great um, And help as you mentioned is is very different acquisition uh, Help is about providing service So when people want a legal contract or an image for marketing <laughs> or uh, or need a, a new laptop And how that's provided it, with help is in a messaging based interface So it's a native slack application one of the largest applications in the slack ecosystem Um, which obviously, as people move to messaging based work flows, um, it's incredibly important area.
1: Now, you have a a big fan
4: in Balazny, which is one of my absolutely
1: a, a a company I follow. Brilliant managers there. They could get anybody they wanted. This is a hedge fund, by the way, that has phenomenal long term performance. I imagine they evaluated everyone, including GitHub, because they know Microsoft very well and chose Atlassian. And that's a great plum for you.
4: Uh, they did. They did. They moved from a very large uh, uh, legacy ITSM solution uh, across to uh, a much more modern Jira service desk and Jira software and confluence-based solution. Um, you know, super great on-point IT and engineering department there at, at Ballyasny and uh, we're thrilled to have them as a customer and even more so to uh, have them move off, uh, you know, um, a- an alternate solution. So when I, when I look at you know, again, I
1: mean, I'm stuck with this darn research, and we've got uh, Jeffrey saying even superstar soft uh, even software superstars need a break. And we have uh, BMO uh, BMO saying time for a pause. I mean, to me, these means you got to buy because if it is just a pause and you need a break, at last thing's going to roar ahead. It sounds like the cadence of the months was good. And it just happens to be that your stock is a very expensive stock, but for a lot of good reasons.
4: Uh, absolutely. I mean, look, we've we've been very clear in our shareholder letter and in our communications. Right, we're we're a long-term thinking business. We're going after the Fortune 500,000 in three or four giant market areas, um, and we're taking this opportunity, this economic, you know, challenge and turmoil period, to really invest and um, and double down in our in our strength areas. Uh, you know, we've announced we're hiring more than a thousand people in the next 12 months. Uh, we're not slowing down on our investment in R&D and in, in the products we're building. Um, we did this in 2008, 2009, and we came out really strong from that period and set up a, a decade worth of growth. And, uh, and that's exactly what we're, we're communicating that we're going to do this time around.
1: But you still got that low price offer. I mean, when I go to the website anyway, when I used to run a company, I was always intrigued that you can actually get for like seven bucks.
4: You can still get Atlassian's firepower. Uh, even more so now. So we just in the last uh, end of the quarter before this, but this first full quarter that we've had uh, free offerings of our major applications. So Jira Software, Jira Service Desk, and Confluence now will have uh, entirely free offerings for less than ten people. Uh, don't forget, we sell the teams, right? We unleash right. the potential of every team. So to get your whole team running for free, uh, if it works and provides value to you, and the software, you know, manages your costs as you say, then. You know, you'll add another team, and once you move to 11 users, then you become a customer.
1: Well, look, congratulations on your success. I think it's just a, a pause that's going to refresh. I know you guys is too good at what you do. Mike Cannon-Brooks, co-founder and co-CEO of Outlasting. Great to see you, sir. Thanks, Mike. See you soon. Very rare you get to buy team at a, at a discount. That money's back into the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning round And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? ski daddy. Time for the lightning round control. Let's go with Mark in Wisconsin. Mark! Hey Jim, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Hey Jim, um, health insurance is essential. Health sells it online. Profits and revenues beat expectations. They raised guidance, but the stock has been sick. Short interest is high. What do you make of it? Yeah, I, I think it's just a big, big rate on these guys. I want to get them back on. We had Scott Flanders on. I thought he told a very important, very positive story. If they come back on, maybe we can duke it out with what the Shorts are saying versus what he does. So I'm going to invite Scott back on. We'll find out the story with eHealth. Let's go to Ryan in New York. Ryan. Jimmy Chill, booyah, sir. Oh, oh, man, I'm chilling. What's going on? Uh, thanks for taking this call. Of thanks course. For making us all smarter investors. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to my bro, Marcus. Totally. Put me on to go in February. Been watching it religiously ever since. Uh, also read your book, but uh, let's get into it. Laying off uh, your California gold rush theory, pans, pigs, Levi's. Uh, what do you think about that, uh, Betsy Dickinson? You got uh, it to- perfect. That's exactly what it is. That is exactly when you go, you know, whether you go to a doctor's office, you go to the hospital. There it is. They own whole parts. They own like parts, huge parts of the real estate in the hospital. I think it's a buy, right, even right. though it just roared. Let's go to Curtin, in Tennessee. Kurt, Jim, how, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Kurt. How about you? Good.
2: Um, I want to um, ask you about Alexion Pharmaceuticals.
1: I think they're terrific. I've liked them for a long time. This is—they uh, do a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> It's very complicated stuff. And the we had a series of therapeutic compounds. I thought they were actually going to be in the running for uh, what's going on with COVID. Uh, you know what? I do, think, I do think that what the problem with Alexion is that everyone always thinks it's going to get a takeover bid. Okay? They always think so. And that's what causes the stock to have some fluff. Let's go to Ashton in Texas. Ashton. Hey, Jim, big fan. I really enjoyed your commencement speech at uh, Buffalo University. Oh, thank, That's you. I got cool stuff. thank you. Thank you. I got some nice words on that. I appreciate that. Thank you. My question to you is regarding a golf stock called a Cushion Holdings Corp. It's been an all-time high level since May, Both golfing golf being the most COVID-resistant sport, do you think there's still more upside? Yes, do I do. Absolutely. Because as long as this pandemic raises, there are very few things you can do outside. And uh, golf is one of them. You can also do croquet. Not as fashionable. Let's go to Roger in California. Roger.
3: Hey, Kramer. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem. My question is about Sorenso Therapeutics. I know it's gone up significantly over the past several months. Is this a stock that I should uh You know, my wife and I and were talking
1: it. about it. We said, why doesn't someone adopt the Columbia University saliva test sure, for the virus? Sure enough, they did. And this is one that we had them on. I was I was skeptical. Uh, but it's now moved up quite a bit. And I think they may actually have more room to run. I know there are a lot of doubters, a lot of shorts. So far, so good. Let's go to Sean in Rhode Island. Sean. Hey, Booyah. It's Jimmy Chill. Huge fan. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Wanted to talk to you a little bit about the company Vale. It uh, trades pretty low at about $11 a share with a $2.50 dividend. Right. Um, In the... In the current crisis that we're in, having a small percentage of my portfolio in metal... That's that's exactly no good. bigger than that, because Valle, frankly, is a company that is so up or down, we get a worldwide recession, come back, China doesn't come back, that stock goes much lower. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: down to 42nd Street yesterday in Midtown, New York. It was like being transported back to 1979 when New York City was an absolute mess, businesses falling apart, violent crime all over the place. You had to look both ways coming out of Grand Central Station those days, not for cars, but for the possibility of being mugged. These days, the devastation is all about the virus. You see so many vacant or boarded up storefronts, and you recognize the names, lots of venerable institutions. The survivors? Pointless, and endless bank branches that only opened during the week, making the whole neighborhood feel even more desolate over the weekend. And international clothing chains with deep pockets like Zara and H&M. How long before the formerly well-situated loft owned by the now-bankrupt Ascena, closed its doors? Not long. At least that particular stretch of Midtown is a little too upscale for Lord & Taylor and Mint's Warehouse, the two outfits that filed Chapter 11 this weekend. Honestly, though, these two chains were in a death spiral long before the pandemic hit. Men's warehouse was already a casualty of more casual business attire. The work-from-home movement just pushed them over the edge. Who needs a suit if you never leave the house? Uh, other than me, of course. I was born in a suit and would wear one on weekends if anyone else would. But as, uh, as it is, people mocked me for my Saturday night French cuffs. Lord & Taylor got sold by Hudson's Bay Company to an outfit called The Tote for $100 million back in September. That was a, a very smart sale and a very dumb acquisition. Tooth be told, the actually came as a surprise because... I've forgotten Lord & Taylor were still in business. They've been torn to pieces by more up-to-date specialty stores, the Dying Wall, and, of course, online competition. But Toad hoped to develop Lord & Taylor's e-commerce platform. And I've been thinking about this, about the advised nature of that. Uh, I, I, I see say maybe they had a way-back machine like Mr. Peabody and Sherman and the old Iraqi and Bollinger cartoons, because there was nothing short of time travel that was going to save that business. In the end, the whole department store category may be vanishing. We know that the uh, much fancier Neiman markets deserve to go under too much debt, even as I like to shop there. Department stores are highly cyclical beasts, always have been. They were always going to struggle in a recession. But a recession where their core white-collar customers can all work from home and nobody wants to shop in person? lethal. Now, 42nd Street also had lots of little boutiques, some junk shops related to tourism, and tons of small restaurants and sandwich shops, many of which were pretty good. New York City's been hostile to small businesses like these for years. The rent's too darn high anyway. Any downturn would have crushed some of these smaller players, but social distancing is absolutely deadly for nearly all of them. The pathetic setting of a handful of tables on the sidewalk outside the Dardenone Capitol Grill seemed like some sort of weird outpost, uh, a la Fort Zindernoff. Bojest to paraphrase to paraphrase the fabulous Lieutenant Markov. Every diner does his duty at Capital Grill, dead or alive. But I mean, at least it's open. A vaccine could save 42nd Street, though who knows how many people will stop taking the train to Grand Central because working from home turns out to be a pretty good deal for all involved, including the company. But the main takeaway, as always, is that the economic devastation of the pandemic is falling most heavily on companies that aren't publicly traded. Will Macy's Nordstrom, with their huge presence in New York, end up benefiting from all these retail closures? Or will they ultimately get crushed like everyone else? It all depends on how fast we can shut down this virus. And right now, we're way behind nearly every other first world country most third world countries too. I don't know what to say other than God bless America because we need all the help we can get. Difficult. American Greed, biggest cons? Is he the biggest of them all? Bernie Madoff, the mastermind of a $65 billion Ponzi scheme, is serving a 150-year prison sentence. But could poor health in a global pandemic set him free? Or will he stay behind bars until the day he dies? That's new reporting and more. Do not miss tonight's American Greed. Okay, so 13 years ago, uh, Aaron Burnett was asked me about how I felt about the republic. And I was quite vociferous that I thought that the Fed was asleep. Uh, there's some very good clips of it, by the way, on Twitter, uh, Jim Cramer. But the most important thing is the Fed's not asleep this time. They're doing quite a good job. And I am going to stick by that view. There's no need to go ballistic about them. I'm Jimmy Chill. Don't forget, by the way, tremendous booking for tomorrow night. Take two interactive Law quarter, spouse selling. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.
4: CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.